Welcome to the Airy Wellbeing Podcast, where we explore all things mental health, well-being, and healing through the lens of our own experiences as Black people and children of Eritrean immigrants. Our goal is to normalize the mental health conversation in our community, empower and raise awareness so that you can better understand your mental health from a place of curiosity and compassion. We are your hosts. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Miki. And we're so happy that you're here with us. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Airy Wellbeing Podcast. Today is a very, very, very special day. For the first time, I have my co-founder, Mikal, with me on the podcast, and we're here to record our very first episode together. We're very, very excited. It's going to be um, a sort of personal chat, but also we have a topic in mind that we think um, is going to be really interesting for everybody to listen into. Um, so um, welcome, Mikael. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. <laughs> Finally, we're <Yes>. together. <laughs> Only a few opis- uh, episodes down the line. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but I mean, uh, to be fair, you had like really legitimate reasons for um, for that. So do you, do you want to tell everybody what you've been up to um, for the, let's say, the last six months? Yes, so um, I've been trying to complete my PhD. <laughs> so basically, uh, I mean, when we started this area um, well-being journey, uh, I was already in the middle of my PhD. So I'm doing I'm doing my PhD at SOAS in London. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, looking at uh, the experiences of uh, Eritrean migrant communities in London and Milan. Mm-hmm. So when we started this journey, I was like in my writing up stage. So, so yeah, it's been pretty uh, busy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and... a huge, huge, huge kind of like uh, achievement, you know. And because I, I know we've had a lot of conversations behind the scenes, but just like in terms of what it entails to actually do a PhD in terms of time. And uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, one day, we, I mean, we need to record an episode on this, on kind of the, the challenges that come with um, uh, certain career paths. I mean, for me, it's academia. For you, it was uh, media. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of challenges that come they are specific to children of migrants, I would say, because um, I'm not sure about you, but for me, I had I couldn't ask my parents <laughs> for support, <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, they were supporting me otherwise, of course, but um, there are specific kind of uh, guidance that uh, we need throughout this journey. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it's about branching out, I guess, to other people and ask and be open to wherever the help can come from. But yeah, I mean, towards now I'm coming to an end. So I'm really excited. I'm <laughs> really excited to have all this free time for myself. Yeah. And, and also to, you know, do some amazing work with um, Airy Wellbeing. And 
before we carry on, I just wanted to really thank you for really taking the lead on this, especially on this part of um, our platform. Because uh, I think a lot of the work that we've done as a, as a, I mean, as a community builder, I guess that's a word. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, you took a lot of uh, leadership. I guess on on doing a lot of the the work, so I just want to take this opportunity to hey. thank you, Nikki. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Don't no, cry. But uh, yeah, you know, like yeah, I'm a softie. But no, but honestly, uh, thank you very much uh, for that. That really means a lot. But I think that kind of also goes back to first of all, it's a pleasure, and I think a lot of our guests who come up and show up and tell their stories really like help us a lot. But um, I think like it's also goes back to kind of what you were saying in terms of being a child of migrants and navigating like, um, you know, postgraduate kind of ambitions when often we are like the first ones in our families to do that. Right. So for me, it's a no brainer as you're pursuing your Ph.D. Like that was like one way that I could help, you know. Uh, so and uh, because often we find ourselves in those positions, like you were saying, um, without any kind of like strategic or tactical support necessarily. And that's just um, for a fact that we are we are trailblazers, you know, often when we're like I'm the I think I'm the, like the first woman in my family to graduate with a university degree. So um, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like part of that as well. So we help each other where we can. Yes, absolutely. I mean, girl, I'm the only one to have a postgraduate degree in my whole extended family, like left and right. <laughs> I mean, I've been super excited about you becoming a doctor because I'm like, Miki, at, like, at the time when you were pursuing your PhD, I think you were like the only person I actually knew that was doing that. And now I've come across like a handful of other women, specifically through this work that we're doing as well, right? Mm -hmm. A handful of few other women, but there aren't many of us out there doing that. Um, and so it's important to highlight because it's a huge achievement, not just for you, for your lineage, for your family. It's a, it's a massive thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um... Kudos to you. Thank you. I mean, it still hasn't sink in properly. I think at some point it will. But yeah, it's a really exciting times. It really sure. is. <laughs> now, I was thinking that maybe it's a good thing also to just share with the audience, like, because we have a very, very interesting topic today that I think a lot of people are really going to like. But maybe since it's the first time that we're getting together on the platform, just to talk a little bit about like, our like friendship, how we um, met and how every well-being kind of came together. So do you, do you kind of want to start on that? Sure. Um, so for me, um, the idea of creating a plot, I mean, I was, okay, let me start from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it started quite organically. As uh, the way I remember it is that we were talking about some of the challenges that our um, communities were experiencing with regard to mental health. Mm -hmm. So I remember you were doing a lot of volunteering in Sweden. I, through my research, through my PhD in fieldwork, uh, I got in contact with um, obviously different parts of our communities, both in London and Milan, mm -hmm. but also a lot of just talking to people and, you know, of different generation, different time of arrival and some of the challenges they face and just seeing the commonality. Mm. And, and I just felt really frustrated about kind of the silence, the, like the, the silence that 
um, was uh, shared like across the board. So like in London and Milan, and then you were telling me in Sweden as well. And then on the other hand, there was also this thing about, you know, us as second generation and having personal experience with, you know, friends and family really struggling with their mental health. Mm. So again, it's another topic that, uh, I mean, it relates to what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. But this idea of, you know, just because we haven't experienced, uh, you know, the journey, or we, we haven't fled the war, or all of these things, it doesn't mean that we don't experience mental health um, problem or challenges. Yeah. So, uh, and that is always, I, I think at the time we met in Ghana, because we were on holiday, um, but there were a few suicides that, you know, and that happened within our broader community, you know, in the US, like in Europe, and they were second generation. So yeah. I think that was kind of the point where you're like, this is unacceptable. Like, what can we do to kind of uh, shed some light into this? Because clearly there's something, there's something happening. Yeah. Um, and the silence is just very dangerous. And I think, like you said, like, obviously, um, I mean, you and I, we've known each other for like over 10 years now. Pro- yeah. yeah, it's more now, probably 12, 13, 14. Like, who, who's counting? <laughs> For a really long time. <laughs> yes. But we met in London. And like you said, when we were both in Ghana on holiday, we met We met up while we were there. And um, I think at that time, there was just a lot of things happening. We were hearing a lot of things. There was a lot of things happening with the migrant community, uh, particularly, you know, who have endured a lot of like really, you know, horrible things and stress. And obviously mental health is a huge part of that picture. But also within the more established kind of like, let's call them the first wave of migrants, like our parents, like this community here. Um, that uh, we noticed that there were a lot of like suicides and there was mm. moments where we were just hearing within both these, I don't know what you want to call them, like cohorts or uh, <laughs> groups, you know, you're the academic, but anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think. Yeah, cohorts. Like, yeah, cohorts. So I think there was like a lot of like, we were hearing about a lot of mental health cases within both. And the sad thing was that it was like suicides, like often. And we were both like just talking about like, this is so crazy that people are going so far that they are like ending their lives and we're not talking about it. We're not learning from it. There is no like neutral place where we can have discourse about this. Absolutely. And I think while we, because, you know, neither of us are mental health professionals and even with regard to refugees, we don't have necessarily the, um, the knowledge of the policies, services available. So I think for us, it made sense also to kind of come from an experience of second generation. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, it really hit home when um, a really good friend of mine um, confided in me that she was considering suicide. That that's someone that, I mean, I love <laughs> so mm-hmm. much. And it's, it's, it's one of those people that have really like uh, a contagious energy, like it's really, uh, I don't, it makes me think of a son. I don't know how to explain it. Like these are the kind of people that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And it, it just really shook me to the core because it made me think, okay, if somebody like that can lose, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it's for, 
I mean, legitimate reason, nobody to say this, but like, you know, it's like it challenges, life challenges that come to you, but they all come to, uh, to you at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the, the difference that uh, it makes of not having a support network or somebody to talk to is what's going to take it the next step, to the next step. Yeah. Yeah. basically has she not because I, I just randomly messaged her and said oh how are you doing mm-hmm. and she could have chosen not to say anything she could have chosen not to open up to me but she decided to do it mm-hmm. and that ended up in a, just a crying session as opposed to doing something that she was contemplating yeah <laughs> yeah sorry this is <laughs> one of this is one of many, just like many, many cases. And I'm sure there are people even listening right now who have um, had similar experiences and haven't felt comfortable to talk to anybody about it, right? And we get it. We get it in the DMs. We've had mm-hmm. testimonials, people who have like shared their own experiences. And hopefully that's part of a healing process as well, just yeah. by speaking out and sharing. But it's kind of like, it's like you say, it's about like roles that we play for somebody like that, that is like, you know, shows up in the world as the sun to me I kind of paraphrase that as somebody who's like joyful happy supportive you know um probably somebody that people depend on or look up to absolutely really relate to and that person then it, it becomes difficult when we are only allowed to play in that into that one role but like can that person not also be that and be sad and deal with like mental health uh, challenges and feel depressed and feel suicidal so that it's and I think that's the problem that we are just kind of historically I think you know and culturally we just kind of exist in this like one track but in reality we have many different layers to us and I think that's kind of in a way what we're trying to do here like as as you said as community builders to to encourage this community to and ourselves um, mm-hmm. to uh, embrace that we can have many different experiences at the same time and that we're allowed to be happy and also feel pain and also feel sad and also have like tough periods and it's okay you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. and I think like we we talked about this before it's um you know, when you mentioned about the roles that we tend to play in our family, like you and I, for example, tend to be the person that people come to for advice, for support and all of these things. And in on, in some level, to some extent, we are happy, obviously we are happy to do that. And it also kind of makes us feel useful. Like it, it really helps us, um, really boosts our ego, really just gives us a sense of purpose in a way. Yeah. But then, some the like the other side of the coin for this particular role is what happens when we need help. What happens mm-hmm. when we uh, set up boundaries? Mm-hmm. And and the problem is that sometimes when you set up those boundaries and you are the person who usually people come to, then you might find some resistance. Mm-hmm. So people under uh, estimate maybe how much you're really struggling because you're not expressing it in the way that they that they do, for instance. Yeah. Or I'm not the person who usually express those things and therefore it's like, are you, are you sure you're okay? Like, you know, they, it's, um, you find different types of resistance. Yeah. So it's, and then, and then it has to be, with, like you have to find the strength within yourself to kind of pursue this and ask for help. 
uh, irrespective of the resistance. And that may mean that, you know, you don't ask it to your, you know, family, but maybe somebody else that can help you in that particular role. So, like, I think it's, like, what, what came up to me, like, what um, as a reflection was to have... Um, as like a group of support that it's like it's diverse so like one person cannot be everything for you we cannot be everything for anybody else yeah but we can play a role like yeah. with this friend in particular for instance i cannot be because I'm, I'm she's in the us i'm in europe i can't mm. be that physically no but i can be that person where like you know if you need to vent call me like whatever you need call me i'm here this is all I, all I can do for you. I can only be present. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. I think, I think that's, like, great advice as well, like, for everybody to diversify their support systems as well. Because, yeah, like you say, we're, we're people. We have our own lives. There's a limitation to how and when and how much we can show up. But the importance is to try to diversify and have different pockets of support that you can, like, tap into. And that can be loved ones, friends, family, but also, like, it could be an app, you know. It could be a, a, a talk, like, a, a therapy app. It could be, like, a yoga community it could be like, I don't know, maybe a church group or if you go to, if you're like a mosque group, like a, a prayer or religious group or community that you're part of, but you can diversify and try to get your support from many different places. And I mean, I think there's so much to talk about when it comes to like the roles that we play, the roles that we're given and then the, mm -hmm. role, the roles that we play and then how eventually they can when like shit hits the fan and you you like I've experienced, you know, uh, with like depression and anxiety, those roles can also become a prison, right? Because mm -hmm. you're confined to that role. You are. And like you said, we have the same patterns in terms of um, a good girl kind of like um, listens, is a natural caretaker, a giver, um, uh, obedient and uh, wants to make family happy all of these things though when you need to when you realize that hey this is not working for me anymore and you need to figure out another way it's difficult because like you said you're gonna disappoint people and so on mm -hmm. i think it's a it's a great segue actually into our topic of today do you want yes. to tell everybody what we're talking about today <laughs> <laughs> Doo -doo -doo -doo. Doo -doo -doo. so today topic very hot. <laughs> hot, hot, hot hot so I mean it, so when we started to talk about this it's for it kind of yeah so it relates to what we were talking about earlier so a lot of the commonality that are found within our culture mm -hmm. uh, just by talking to people is that there's a lot of concern about what would people say this is something that it's passed on to us from um, our family, obviously. But then I think there is also like a more historical uh, route to this that kind of can be tied into um, our history as a country, like as an Eritrean history. And like this need of self-reliance, this need, this sense of um, sacrifice and also of not letting people know what your uh, problems are so everything has to be addressed within the family or within the family unit and not uh, outside of that irrespective if this is helpful to you or not yeah that's such an important 
point to add, like, even if it's helpful for you to share, we don't talk about it. And I want to give like a practical example on what that means, which, which happens a lot in our community. And we hear about it a lot in the DMs as well. So when somebody commits suicide, for instance, we don't talk about it. We actually don't even a lot like generally. So we're having a general conversation, right, guys? So keep that in mind. But generally, and I'll even go as far as to say as most of the time, when someone commits suicide, um, we do a lot of cover-ups. We don't tell people why that person died, how that person died. We will give another, we will give another excuse. So we won't talk about it, right? And that means for me, I can sort of understand that because it's such an unfamiliar um, it's such an unfamiliar thing, I think, culturally. And I think Dr. Jakob also helped, helped explain that on one of our previous episodes. Shout out to Dr. Jakob. And, and the way, yeah, uh, and the way that he explained it was that it is too painful for them. And we're saying for them, our parents, right? It's too painful for them to talk about it. So it's easier for them to just cover it up. It's because it is like that pain is too much for them to actually address and that's why they give another excuse that's a it's a coping mechanism basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the, I, I just wanted to get some to to my point around that is like when we don't talk about it we also don't learn and that's the tragedy it's like a double tragedy it's like somebody loses their life right yeah and secondly we as a community because we don't talk about it we don't unpack it we don't learn and that means that like this is still a massive risk to us then we're going to lose the next person and the next person, right? So this psychology of what will people say is really keeping us like stuck in this like pattern that I think is is dysfunctional and we're not learning from it. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. Um, as I was thinking about this conversation today, it just uh, reminded me of... Um, uh, a conver- not a conversation, but something that Dr. Brene Brown talks a lot about. You know, I love Brene Brown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she talks about the difference between shame and guilt. Because, mm-hmm. like, when you're talking about, you know, why, for instance, our parents won't talk about what happened, it, mm-hmm. and, and I think uh, Dr. Jacob mentioned this as well. There is an element of shame, like, of shame of. Uh, failing their children like what did we do wrong mm. so it's, it's basically they're b- blaming themselves in mm. to some extent how can I how did I not see this um, what kind of parent am I if this uh, if this happened mm. you know like I didn't I didn't do my job yeah so this is what I gathered from uh, what Dr. Jacob said in one of the previous uh, episodes and as I reflected back on the, because I'm currently reading um, Daring Greatly, how the, um, how the courage to be vulnerable transforms the way we live, love, parent, and lead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I just want to read like a few sentences from the shame aspect, because I think yeah. that is really uh, strongly related to what we talk about today. Sure, sure. So she says, shame uh, derives its power from being unspeakable. That's why it loves perfectionists. It's so easy to keep us quiet. If we cultivate enough awareness about shame to name it and to speak to it, we basically cut it off uh, at the knees. Shame Mm -hmm. hates having words wrapped around it. If we speak shame, it begins to wither. Just the way exposure to light was deadly from the gremlins, language and story bring light to shame and destroy it. 
And I mean, to me, this was so powerful because it's basically what we're trying to do with every well-being. Like mm-hmm. by speaking into these situations, by speaking about uh, our experiences and sharing other people's experiences of being so brave to share with us. Yeah. We, are, we are providing a language. We're providing a platform to create community. And mm-hmm. the more we talk about it, the less ashamed we are to ask for help, you know, to acknowledge how we're feeling uh, and do something about it. Yeah. And I think, uh, thank you for reading that. That was super powerful. And I, I, I just agree with you that Brene Brown is such a gift to us, like to humanity in general. She's teaching us like so many things that I think it's just helping so many people. And those words are really powerful and it is really tied to shame. And I think just when, if you think about like some of the messages that we get in the DMs, especially when we did the campaign on Eritrea Stole My Heart and shout out to Eritrea Stole My Heart as well. Yes. Who really helped like kind of us get off the ground with every well-being. But um, one of the things that I think that when we did that campaign in 2018 is that we got so many DMs and messages where people were like, I didn't know that other Habesha people went through this. I didn't know that other black people, you know, experienced this. I didn't know that we were allowed to talk about this. Like, you know, and for me, and I'm sure it's the same for you as well. It just made it like, it just reinforced that like, oh, like, it's not just us, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That and, this is, and this is powerful. This is like really powerful in terms of building the resilience towards uh the shame that the that we have that we experience about feeling vulnerable feeling uh you know down um and yeah it, it just helps to know that we're not alone <laughs> yeah and to be true to the full human experience which is not just highlights it's not just pause the positive snippets it's like you know, we are dynamic as human beings and our experiences are very nuanced. And we, you know, some of us will not experience maybe like a, a very tough mental health period. But maybe if you don't indirectly, somebody that you know in your family or friendship group will. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about also acknowledging like the rainbow colors of human experience. It's very, very complex. And we should allow ourselves to feel all of that, right? So, which is part of our message. But um, one thing I wanted to ask you, Mickey, is like, because now we've talked about some of the more, uh, what should I say, the more difficult end of like the psychology of what will people say. But I kind of want to break it down because like, even further, because for me, if I think about for, for myself, as an adult and as I'm unpacking a lot of my own like patterns, my own beliefs, my own like experiences, I realize like how much this psychology has like dictated my life, my choices, how I show up, how I behave. And it's really like, if I think about it, like it's been around like clothing choices, you know, my mom will say like, oh, no, you can't wear that. What will people say? No, mm-hmm. you can't go there. What will people say? Uh, you you can't do this. What will people say? Like it's it's in the micro choices and also the macro choices. No, you need to go to university because what will people say? We need to keep up appearances. No, you need to do things in this order. No, you need to marry within your culture. Mm-hmm. People, <laughs> you know, you need to go to church because what will people say? And it's so like it's it's so interesting. I think like how much time and energy it occupies like our parents psyche and by default it's also like you know 
made its way into our psyche although a lot of us are becoming aware and we're trying to like figure out like which part of this is is actually for me and which part can I let go but I think it's like it's not just directly tied to a situation where you're dealing with like you know mental health I think there's like a really long runway until you even get to that point where this psychology is constantly constantly you know like like pushing you to potentially be something that you're not or to follow a set of rules that you're like, hey, I don't even know if this makes sense to me. I don't know if I care about what my mom's friend thinks or what my uncle thinks about this particular choice that I'm making. Like, what do I think, right? So where do you think is like, um, what do you think is like the root of this psychology? I think that we, I mean, first of all, (laughs) I agree with (laughs) everything. It's a lot. It's I was lot. just nodding <laughs> for the whole thing. Um, I, I, I mean, we all have different personality, first of all. Like, we are very much alike, so I, I can totally relate with everything that you said. Uh, some other people who may be more confrontation, not even confrontation, but just more self-assured and confident, they, might, they may still... Um, they might not find it as difficult or at least they found strategies mm-hmm. to kind of assert themselves. Although I would think that in our cultures, uh, generally the, those individuals perceived as troublemakers or, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like if, you, uh, you know, if you're obedient and you listen to your parents, you don't disappoint, you're the good like daughter or son. And, and if, uh, yeah. if a lot of your self-worth is kind of invested in this role and position within your household, uh, then it's going to be more difficult later on to make decisions that you think your your family, your parents will not approve on. Um, Mm. I mean, that would be, for example, my experience. Like this continues, like, and, and, you know, obviously our parents do love us irrespective. But if we grew up Mm -hmm. within the context where you know, it's almost, we feel that our love, the love that our parents have for us is almost contingent or conditional to this. Then we, um, yeah. we have this urge of always kind of find the, uh, the approval. Um, and, and as you said, it yeah. does affect our choices, um, our decision making. It's, like, it's almost like we always have to have an answer. Say, okay, I'm going to go to university and do this and then find a job and then uh, maybe pursue postgraduate and then find a job. I say, okay, so now the expectation is that I get married and have kids. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, hot topic. Very hot, hot topic. topic. <laughs> and I will have a conversation with my mom and I'm just like, okay, and, and you know, this is something that I want for myself. Like, uh, like it's not something that you know I'm uh, I'm fighting, but to me it's key. And we talked about this before that it's with someone like with a partner, they with somebody who can be a partner to yeah. me and the father to my children, not just somebody to have children with. Um, and and it comes back to this thing. Of, oh, you know, people are already asking like now. Merat and I was like. Like, you know, like, oh, yes, people are already asking me. I said, okay, that's not my problem. (laughs) You know, but then this becomes just such a a necessary pressure that I think leads a lot of people, especially women, I would say, I don't know, I don't know the experience of men, 
but to get into relationship and situations where they're not happy. And and then it just becomes mm. a really toxic circle because you're doing things because you just want to, uh, you know, please your family. And then, but are you happy? Like, is, is the person yeah. really like, are you doing this for yourself? Or are you doing it for someone else? Because And then what are the consequences? I, I truly believe in, you know, making children out of love. Um, you know, not out of, like, uh, to conform, <laughs> you know? Yeah, out of social, yes, not, not out of social pressure. pressure there are enough you know? children in the world. I mean, we had this yeah. conversation many times before, but like, there are not there are yeah. enough children in the world who needs love, who need love, so... Like this pressure that, you know, we have on, you know, fulfilling certain roles. Okay, you study. That's great. You have a job. Great. Now marry and have kids. And then what? Then more kids. And then what? <laughs> like, you know? When never. are you happy? It's never. Like, no. <laughs> never. Like, and God forbid if somebody, especially a woman, didn't want to have children. I don't know. I don't know how that would be received. I no, that is not even an option. With most not... <laughs> but it's interesting because I talked about it as well, which is it's a very hot topic, even in, in my household with my parents. It's like, when are you going to get married? Like, literally. But like, so I think a lot of women goes through the, go through that and possibly men as well. But I think the social pressure in our culture is very specific towards women. And I also want to say that, like, it partly comes yes. from care as well. It's not we get that and we acknowledge that we love our parents. We know that they come from a place of love. However, there's an anxiousness around it that kind of, I think, stops people from being present and just being here and being like noticing what's what's here being grateful for hey we're all here we're healthy everybody's trying their best to like make the best life possible for themselves but that conversation gets hijacked by this social pressure which is like you know for me i've also heard that a lot and being like oh all these yeah. people keep calling us and asking us when you're when you're going to get married and i was like wow yeah. these people don't have enough things to do like what so it's basically that's the psychology of it that i'm really really interested in so they basically like call each other and like kind of like they 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 just like stress they each do. other out completely on these like social pressure appearances mm. these like milestones roles. have your yeah. son done this has has your son done this has your daughter does done this well my son did this plus this and and this and so it's like a way of almost like i mean it's weird i think you use this term and correct me if i'm wrong in our conversation last week but i think it's also like a a way of like social control you know what I mean like in terms of like kind of keeping tabs on each other like you know hey I've done this and then then this but then it's like not really anchored in like what do I need how am I how am I feeling what do I have you know is my family is my daughter okay is she happy but it's like they just get hijacked by this like the the, the whole psyche gets hijacked by this this pressure to perform and to deliver you know which I find mm. really, really interesting. I think, as you said, it's very important to to highlight that it comes from a place of love. I think for most of our parents, it really does, because really their concern is what's going to happen once we're not here anymore. And we want you to be taken yeah. care of and, you know, have a family, have somebody to look after you, the same way we look after our parents. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of... But also, I think... 
uh, it also comes, okay, traditionally, that's how things have been in Eritrea and how they've done it. So naturally, they will feel that this is the way for us as well. Um, mm. So, but that, what they're not taking into account is that we live in a, diff- in a very different context. Um, so mm. the way we grew up, like our realities, our, our priorities, our dreams and hopes are different to uh, our parents. And this is not to kind of uh, um, undermine them in any way. It's just, um, you know, there are people out there who don't want to have children. There are people out there who don't want to have to be married, you know? And it's it just this constant focus on this. Our life is like, is a milestone. It's almost like, if you haven't done this, what, what have you done with your time? Like this, these are really like, they, I don't feel mm. they really grasp how hurtful these things are. Wow. And um, mm. it's almost like we are defined by our social status. And, and, and to some extent, this is true to uh, how, to my understanding anyway, uh, how things are back home. So I understand where it's coming from, but yeah. I think it's just there's generally a lack of awareness on how our reality here, like in the diaspora, is for us. Wow. And also like this mm-hmm. this kind of pressure on, you know, marrying someone from, from your own background, somebody who's, you know, we both have post-credit. <laughs> so do, you, so do, you, do we need to marry someone who also has, you know, like a good job? There are all these kind of expectations and that take away the... Um, the, the excitement and the, the joy that, this, that should come from meeting someone. And as you're, as you're saying this, I'm also thinking about the fact that when we're, we're as we're like, you know, putting, well, you have an anthropology <laughs> hat, but I'm just pretending, but like, I, you know, in terms of um, thinking where this, like, cause I'm always like curious, like, mm. why do people think the way that they think, right? And, Yes, if you think about it, like, let's say back home, and I think this applies to anybody who's listening that is like a child of an immigrant, it's like generally in, um, let's say, uh, Africa, definitely the Middle East, Asia, there, and probably even, I'll, I'll go as far as say, sort of parts of Latin America as well, is like, there is like generally like one way of being. And that's certainly true for where we can, where we have experience, Eritrea. Generally, mm-hmm. there's one way of being, right? When it comes to um, you either marry or you go to school and you move out once you're married, you don't live on your own. So obviously their kind of attitude also comes from that they've mm-hmm. only seen this like one track. And here, we are bombarded with like options that like you can do it. You can live life in so many different ways. It's like, a, you know, you can be as eclectic as you want. And actually the environment that we're operating is generally the West really encourages that. It encourages you to be eclectic and define yourself and find new ways and all this stuff. So that is a complete that comes to a complete collision with what they've been taught and what Absolutely, they've experienced. Yes. Right. They, you do. You get married. You study whatever, if you get the chance, if not, you get married and then like you support and help your family. Whereas here, 
like you can do it in many different ways. Maybe you have a different goal for yourself. So I think it's like also that they've never seen anything in their own upbringing that that looks like this. Like it looks like the world that we're living in. So it, I think it's it's a big, it's a big kind of mm-hmm, absolute contrast for uh, them. And, and we're talking about weddings now, but you could insert like schools. You could insert like you know sexual orientation. You could insert anything really yeah. that like clashes with their worldview. That absolutely, goes back to absolutely. what people say. And um, I remember mentioning this like in our own conversation last week, but um, I remember listening to uh, a podcast with um, the Jesus and the Love podcast, which I love. It brings me so much joy. Where you have... That's Lovey and... Nigerians, Nigerian-American. And I remember this, yeah. like there was an episode that was specifically about kind of the idea of divorcing, divorcing your parents. Uh, and basically what it came down to was this idea of, you know, that we can kind of, you know, disappoint, quote unquote, our per, uh, parents gradually. And so what that means is like, don't just be like <laughs> disobedient child your whole life. And then all of a sudden, you know what? This is not what I want. <laughs> And like, and drop it. Like, you know, you don't give them uh, the space uh, or, or the time to come to terms what you are trying to tell them. So the idea that if you gradually mm-hmm. kind of stand for yourself in things that you know your parents maybe will not understand or not agree to, um, it kind of prepares them to kind of bigger context and bigger challenges where you have to, you know, uh, assert your needs and your boundaries. So in, in that way, it kind of facilitated a, a different type of conversation where, you know, um, you had time to kind of slowly introduce them to who you are as, a, as an individual, uh, irrespective if they understand it or not. But it's just a way for them to have some time to just to come to terms with what you're sharing with them, which I found really interesting. I was like, huh, I should do this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes sense, like, because you don't want to overload your parents and be like, hey, I'm dropping out of school. I'm never having kids. I'm, I'm, I'm moving. I'm going to become a beach bum. And that's it. Like, you know, and you just like switch, flip the switch on them like that. I guess it makes sense to, to make it like, Uh, gradual but I think it also like you say it makes sense I think for us what will be easier is like to understand where they are coming from uh, when they think like this because in my observation and it and it's definitely the case because I like you I have Nigerian friends but I think Mm -hmm. most of my friends who are children of immigrants they deal with psychology where sometimes I've even like okay I'll talk about my own experience sometimes I've even found it like hurtful when I'm like well, I'm talking to you about my needs right now and yes, you're worried absolutely. about what other people yeah. will think. Like, there's a massive clash that happens there where you're like, I just need you to be my mother right now. I, need, I don't, like, I need you to be my father or whatever. I don't, like, care what other people will think. How can other people's opinions matter more than my well-being? I'm telling you, I need this or I want to do that or mm-hmm. this is going to make me happy or I need you to act like this for me. And it's like... And I, to understand and empathize with um, 
how deep their conditioning goes on this particular topic. Because I even think that it's a quite dangerous like mindset, you know, and, and, and I, I'm going to explain a little bit more by what I mean by that is like when I've observed, let's say my family, family members, when they kind of get each other worked up on this topic of like, what will people say? It really mm-hmm. likes it makes their blood pressure go up for mother. I've seen it affects her like um, her blood sugar levels like it's can it's potentially harmful to their health. It creates a lot of anxiety. Maybe in some people it can create like a. Uh, like depressions, if they're constantly worried about what their children are not versus like who they actually are. So like looking into the future or the past constantly, instead of just being like, hey, we're all here, we're healthy, like, you know, we're okay, by constantly like challenging by saying like, no, I want it to be this way. And it's not going to be happy. I'm not going to be happy until it's this way. Mm -hmm. And it has an impact also on your relationship with your parents, right? So that's, that's another element of it. So I do think that it's quite dangerous. And I think like for some people, uh, you know, maybe the boundary is that you're not, you're not seeing your family as much as you used to, but that's kind of sad and, and can also create additional stress. So I guess what I'm saying is like, it creates distance. This mindset, I think, creates distance between those of us who are like born or raised here and for our parents who have a totally different conditioning from back home. And it creates a gap, which I think is sad because ultimately we all want the same thing. We want to be happy and we want to be mm-hmm. loved and we want to Absolutely. love others, right? And I, th- I think that part of it is like, uh, can be really stressful for people where you're just like, well, this person will only accept me if I you know, become a lawyer, engineer, or doctor, and if I marry somebody with my culture by this time, and I have X amount of kids, and I never divorce, and um, yeah, and I just play within the the lines that you've outlined for me, and if I, if I dare to step outside of that, then you're going to trigger my fear of what the community, the community will judge me, so basically, I need to, I need to stay in line in order to allow my parents to keep up appearances but it's such an insecure absolutely existence, and i mean you know so i mean and two things can happen so on one side we could as you know as children of uh, migrants take the take this upon ourselves and try to have uh, a better communication with our parents because really what it comes down to is our communication and I've had conversation, for instance, with my mom, where mm. she's kept going, oh, you know, everyone is expect you to, you know. I, I mean, she was saying it as a joke, but I could tell there was some, like, uh, truth behind it. Like, you know, people are saying, oh, they're really looking forward to your yeah. wedding. It's going to be an Eritrean wedding, da, da, da. And, and it, I was getting stressed out. I was like, okay, mom. And I had to just tell her straight, mm. like, look. I want this. I'm not saying that I don't want to get married. I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not saying this. I want it. But you putting pressure, uh, pressure on me in that way is not helpful. Like, it's really stressful. And I need you to stop. Yeah. So mm. there are times mm. where you cannot try to have this conversation. But then I also understand there are other situations where you can't. And also maybe you, you're gathering all your energy to just survive. You know, like to just, you know, taking care of yourself. Yeah. And in, the, in those instances, also okay to kind of take a step back until you, you're ready or you have the, the right support network or, you know, uh, the strength to even have any of those conversations. And I mean, 
even if I think, for instance, of you know a lot of like, for example, Eritreans or who who may be part of uh, the LGBTQ community, I cannot even phantom this. Like, you know, like even when I have this conversation with my parents, yeah. I'm just like, listen, you need to move on. You need to stop this. And 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 it's and it's somehow easier yeah. for me to say this because this is not not it's not it's never easy but like it's easier because it doesn't really affect me personally in that way but i can imagine it's not- i can imagine yeah. people yeah. like in our communities really struggling with this you know and in in, in this situation i can see yeah. how maybe uh, the way you survive this is just by taking a step back initially and found your you know your community find your support network and find the strength to kind of live your own truth and then come back possibly if you want to you know to reconnect but i mean there's no i don't think there's no one way to address this um I think it's about awareness as well as you're saying this, like you said, when it comes to um, sexual mm. orientation, it's not something that we talk about at all as a culture. And, you know, I'm sure that's for, for somebody who is um, struggling with their own sexual orientation or being open with who they truly are, that must cause a lot of stress, especially when, you know, like we're talking about parents who are upset whether you choose to study <laughs> economics versus like uh, medicine, you know, try to flip on them that you, you know, this is who you are in terms of sexual orientation. Can you just imagine? That's just, that's just like, it's just, yeah. It's, um, it's a lot when, when you're dealing with parents or a culture or a family that has a very kind of uh, set ideas of how things are supposed to be. But, but I kind of agree with what you said in terms of like, we always advocate this, like take care of your own needs first, like before you try to convince anybody or like, mom, you need to accept me this way, or you need to help me that way. Help yourself first. That's like always going to be our advice. So seek out therapists, coaches, community, other like communities, friends that can help you, but take, make sure that you're okay first before you try to tackle, you know, the dynamics with Mm. family or extended family or culture. Like you need to be first. Um, and I do think that it's like, I honestly, when it comes to like, and I'm just using my experience from like my immediate family and also my very large extended family, I don't think this is a psychology that's going to go away, like, you know, within their lifetimes. But I think it's going to be easier, easier for us to manage mm-hmm. if we understand it more. And we understand also that what, what would people say is a very fear-based approach to life. You know, it's like very, it's driven by fear. And that is what's driving them. It's fear of that you're not going to be okay. Or that. Fear and shame, yeah, I, I would say. Maybe and shame. Because it's also like, it's also fear. how whatever yeah. like lifestyle and choices we make, how it reflects on their parenting and who they are as individual within our community. So there's also this element of, yeah. you know, if my if my daughter doesn't get married or if, you know, uh, if, if he doesn't, my, my son doesn't complete his, you know, degree or whatever. But it's just really, yeah, it's, it's fear and shame. And as you said, like once we understand it better that, or we can find 
ways to manage it and it could be in specific to each one of us like i don't think there is one way to do it yeah and i think take it less personal because ultimately i don't think it is that personal i think it's a it's a it's it's more of like a cultural like larger like wider psyche or psychology uh, in our community i don't think it's personal but but it, has... in, when you experience it it feels very personal you know when your mom is telling when are you going to get married? Everybody's like calling me and asking yeah. me. It's basically like, you're going to disappoint me if you don't do this. People are stressing me out. So you feel it as very personal. However, what's happening, it's not personal. It's just like, it's, uh, yeah, she, it's, it's just something that governs their way of thinking. And I think um, by, by understanding that and having some empathy uh, around that and understanding that, hey, this is not personal. She's not doing this to hurt me. But this is just the way that they think. I think that's the beginning. But I agree with you. I don't know if there is a way to like address it as a whole. Uh, but on the more optimistic side is, um, I think, understanding mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. we don't have to carry this over. That like we have the power to kind of be like, okay, we're the generation that we're going to end this like way of thinking. Um, we're going to embrace like, you know, yeah, mm -hmm. for, pe pe for people to be able to be who they really are be original yourself do who you really do what you really want to do and be accepting and uh, and, and open uh, towards each other uh, and I think that's uh, a positive like outlook on it like the power that we have to um, uh, not take this further to not take absolutely on, and, and I remember our I think uh, Dr. Jacob in one of the episodes said um, something about managing our expectations so also understanding that you know our parents mm. our family may, may not never really understand us fully and just manage this expectation to the degree that you know just share enough information for them to get a grasp so like we know our family we know our mm. parents it's unnecessary for us to just be all super vulnerable about our biggest fears, the biggest vulnerabilities, when we know deep down they may not understand this. Um, so maybe by managing yeah. the expectation, it's like, okay, I may not be able to explain everything or share everything with, our fam with my family, but I can share this thing and then take it from there. Yeah. And I think it also is, it requires you to be more confident in yourself uh, to, to like be more introspective and be clear on who you are so that you can stand up for however you want to show up in this world, regardless of what they think. Like, you know, so it's also like, there's also a choice. They want me to be X and they're worried about what the community is going to say if I don't do X, you know, but then it's like, okay, but what about you? Are you going to stand firm on like making this experience Absolutely. yours? And I think regardless? It, it, so this is going back to what we were saying earlier to help ourselves uh, first. So make sure that you are in a space where you can yeah. uh, as much as possible deal with perhaps like, you know, uh, confrontation, um, hurt, uh, shame, all of these things. I mean, I don't think we are ever like really ready for this, but it, it's important that we are in the right state of mind and that we have somebody to go to, to talk to uh, if things go left. So uh, 
yeah ideally we don't want to have this conversation where we are like a mess <laughs> where, we, where we don't know exactly what we're saying like yeah I mean yes so like ideally you would want to do this when like you know you have a support network around you like you have a community around you like whatever your community might be and uh, you know that if things don't go as you expect them to go then you have a safe net this may not be possible for everyone but uh, you know it's it's all about I guess having a plan for the aftermath of this conversation whatever the conversation is about And and even if it's necessary, like you said, like maybe it's not even necessary. Maybe it's just like you getting clear on yourself. But I know for for me, at least, because you and I have the same like, you know, patterns in general in terms of like identity and roles. I find it I found it really helpful to just to talk to you, the conversations that we've had around this, you know, and it's really given me the confidence to continue pursue like this path that I'm on, which is to be more of myself, regardless of the expectations so I think like if you, you can also find a lot of support Absolutely. in friendships and people who think in the same way as you. Sorry, I didn't mean and, to interrupt. I was like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no. I, <laughs> no, but I think that, you know, a lot of those conversations that you have with like-minded mm-hmm. people and friends have potential of being really healing as well. And I think like, I was just thinking about something like when it comes to like, I think also this like, what will people say is about like, you know, not disappointing your parents, right? They're like, do this so you don't disappoint us. But I also think, like, to not disappoint <laughs> an immigrant parent is pretty much an impossible task. Like, you know, you can, mm. you can disappoint them with even, like, your choice of music or your choice of clothes. They're like, it's on such a micro level, the disappointments that they take personal. So I'm like, maybe just get comfortable with the fact yeah, that you're no. going to disappoint them I mean, but in general, we're going to disappoint people, like we're gonna disappoint our friends our co-workers uh, you know yeah. our siblings we are going to disappoint people but I think as a child of a, uh, of a migrant what's key like in our relationship with our parents is this sense of responsibility or like you know the idea that our parents really sacrificed a lot for us to even be here so there's this added element to it where like you know we should be grateful and therefore we should just do what we've been told that maybe other households where who didn't experience this uh, uh migration whether it's a, as a as a, as, a, as an individual or as a household they might not have this added element of you know being respectful and being you know thankful for the opportunity uh, that are given to us i think there's being okay. Yeah. I think it's like it's like being obedient it's like it yeah yeah it's it almost is. like a debt that needs to be paid you know somehow that is exactly it <laughs> I mean like what is the point if you can't uh, even you know, you make now. your you parents happy you. like what are you even doing yeah. with your life <laughs> Yeah, I've had these conversations with my mom. My mom, like, you know, she's very, very funny. Yes. We, she, we have a very informal relationship with our mother. She's really funny. And she'll, she'll literally oh, yeah, come yeah, and yeah, say yeah. it. She's like, yeah, you owe me. I did this for you. <laughs> I had a C-section for you. You, I came here for you. You same, owe me. Same. And I'm just like, you're such a hot mess. Like, same seriously. With that, even with that, I like, my mom's like, ah, oh, <laughs> yeah, you, you have a lot of debts towards me. It's like, you know, with me and my brothers, like, you, you was emotional debts. <laughs> 
we joke about it, but then obviously she's also like really happy that we are, you know, just decent people. At the end of the day, I guess that's like when it really comes down to, you know, raising decent human beings uh, who will make the world like a better place than they, than they found it, really. Yeah, and I think that kind of, uh, I mean, we could talk about this topic like forever, but <laughs> yeah. we're going we're gonna to round off soon <laughs> and maybe do a part two soon. But I think that is kind of like the, the, it's a nice point to kind of come back to the both and that they are driven by this, like we're in our culture, this, this mindset exists and it's not really a progressive mindset, but behind that, there is a lot of love and care as well, you know? So if we can keep reminding ourselves that although it feels very personal and pointed, like behind that, they do love us and they do care, although in the delivery of those demands, it might not feel that way, but um, it exists, is what yeah. I believe. For, for, and I shouldn't say everybody, because we don't know everybody's life situation, but in general, you know? In general, I think that for most people, uh, most of our parents, it comes from uh, a well-intended place. However, mm -hmm. the belief is um, out of place and out of time. The delivery is incorrect. And um, it's just like not relevant to the environment that we're living in here today. Yeah. And that's what creates the tension. You're up there really well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, this was so much fun, Miki, to record with you. We're going to do a we lot do, more. We, we have really a do. lot of these hot, hot <laughs> topics that are, oh gosh, that are going to, that we're going to um, record together in the future. I'm so happy to finally have you on the podcast and you're definitely going to uh, become more, um, Absolutely, yeah. have a lot more appearances on really this podcast. So and I really hope this was helpful yeah. to people out there i mean just to not be so harsh on ourselves um okay. and, and again it's about knowing that you you're not alone we are not alone in this and it's just a shared experience and just you know finding ways for us to um live more fulfilling lives really um with our loved ones and in like in our own uh journey Absolutely. Absolutely. So we want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. Um, please um, share it with your loved ones, with your family, with your friends. Let's keep spreading the word, word about uh, mental health awareness. And if you get a chance, please leave us a rating on your platform of choice. That really helps us as well. So bye, um, bye thank you for listening. Bye-bye, <laughs> Mickey. Thank you for tuning in to the Every Wellbeing Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and sign up to our monthly newsletter. Links are in the show notes. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. Please subscribe, rate and review our podcast so that we can keep spreading the word about mental health and well-being in our communities together. Until next time, be well. Be well.